And we're here. The Foul Life Podcast is back at you. Another episode. I hope you all like this one. I hope you're all ready for this one. I'm excited for this because this man's reputation precedes him. Comes with a good reputation. You've heard him on some other podcasts like my main man, Ramsey Russell's It's Duck Season Somewhere podcast. He's been in the waterfowl business since 1996, I believe, in this area. That's when he started Wyobraska. His story's awesome. He's a hell of a people person. Today's podcast, this episode of The Foul Life, is brought to you by our friends at Deemer Box. If you want clear music, if you want something that makes sense, something that's practical, if you're an outdoors outdoorsman outdoors woman if you like to fly fish if you like to be on a boat in the summer if you like to be in the duck blind cooking barbecue and grilling swimming pools the beach deemer box is exactly what you need to keep all of your valuable secure waterproof sealed 100 percent waterproof you can store your side piece in there your wallet your hunting license your fishing license a couple cold beers it doesn't matter put the cork in it and let it float deemer box has comes with two different varieties, the DB1 with one speaker, the DB2 with two speakers, and I'm talking treble, bass, volume. It's an awesome way to listen to your favorite songs, your favorite podcasts, and get along out there with all of your friends when they're listening to the music and having a great time. So look no further than Deemer Box when you want a great experience with music or podcast by your side. Today's episode of the Foul Life podcast is also brought to you by our friends at Wyoke, Braska waterfowl if you want the experience i'm not going to sit here and tell you that you're going to book the hunt of a lifetime i think that that term gets thrown around quite a bit do you agree with that my guest i'm not going to say your name yet but do you think that gets thrown around quite a bit i definitely think that gets thrown around quite a bit the hunt of a lifetime i mean there's a lot of different versions of that there's a lot of versions of the hunt of a lifetime (laughs) chad it can mean a lot to uh, different things to different people 100 percent. but if you really want an experience with awesome people hardworking, passionate outfitters guides that are committed to not just getting ducks and geese in your face but just great conversation safety security leases that are unbelievable the properties that i've seen up here have just absolutely blown my mind and this place is inundated with a target rich environment if you love calling canada geese mallard ducks i even saw a few widgeons i actually saw the widgeons at the plucking plant well they got there somehow they got there somehow so yeah. there are widgeons Widgen, around to hunt pintail green wing teal mallards but i would say about 97 98 mallards we occasionally kill a couple widgeon and once in a while a pintail and once in a while a green wing teal but that's about it here's the real question though mr guest i haven't announced you yet or introduced mm-hmm. you um with the episode tonight being brought to our listeners and our fans of the foul life podcast and the foul life tv is there a chance to book a hunt for the 2022-23 season or is there a waiting list i mean this place is pretty freaking popular with your with your guide service yeah there's a chance to get in there's always there's always a chance first thing we do is give all of our customers a chance to rebook so if you've got dates this year and i've got guys who've been i mean i got guys who've had you know, mid-December dates booked for 20 years. You know, if you've got already got dates, you get the first chance at keeping those. And dates that people give up, I run four groups a day, once in a while five on crossover days, but mostly four groups a day. If somebody gives up their dates, then you're going to have a chance to get in. It's whether somebody gives them up or not. Hit them with the website. 
Website is wyobraskawaterfowl.com. Wyobraska, W-Y-O-B-R-A-S-K-A. That's kind of like a mixture between, if I had to guess, Wyoming and Nebraska. That's a pretty good guess, Because we're pretty close to the state line. <laughs> we're on the state line. Which is kind of cool because yep. yesterday we're killing Canada geese in Nebraska. Today we're killing Canada geese in Wyoming. Yeah. That's a neat deal. It's a neat deal. There's some laws that go with that. we got to talk about that a little bit tonight because I don't want people coming up here thinking, oh, I'm going to kill my limit in Nebraska today and then I'm going to go in Wyoming this afternoon and kill it. That can't no. do that. No, you can't do that. Now you can kill four in Wyoming. And then go kill your fifth in Nebraska. You can correct? do that because the but Nebraska you can kill limit's one. five. Wyoming limit's four. So if you were to get four in Wyoming, you could go to Nebraska and get one more. And that gives you your Nebraska limit of five. It's a very interesting law state by state with the federal mandate above that. So wyobraskawaterfowl.com. Get on their books. This place is unbelievable. And think about it. You're hunting geese in Chris Ledoux country. Cheyenne Frontier Days. <laughs> We're Mr. Lane Frost, the legend. You know, we all know the story. You've heard Tuff Hedeman on the podcast. He was Lane's best friend. But this is the land of the cowboy, the continental divide. It's it's not really known for waterfowl hunting. And then all of a sudden you come up here and it's freaking amazing. So get on Jason's books. I didn't introduce him yet. His name is the guest. Never mind what I just said. Today's episode <laughs> of the Fowl Life Podcast is brought to you last but not least. We got to talk about this girl. She's awesome. Natalie Fox. Yeah. Fowl Habits. Yeah. She's unreal. I'm talking like 150 birds a day. She's plucking. She's skinning. She's cutting breasts out. She's, she's doing unreal. jerky, pastrami. She's doing jalapeno cheddar sticks. I mean, she has got it going on, and it's an unbelievable service for my guests to come in and you know, shoot a bunch of geese and have them made into pastrami or something. And it's delicious. We had sandwiches today. I was going to tell you, like, I bought, I, Les is an, or Les is right here. Les is at my, he's my dedicated taste tester. Yeah. And as fast as I saw him eat the first sandwich today and get back for number two. He went back for another. <laughs> like I in a saw heartbeat. it. it was like, a, the second one was as big as the first. I don't even think the first one was swallowed all the way in. No. He's just making another one. But she's awesome. She's she's got a personality, and her husband is the Fox family, right? His yeah. name remind me his name. Dave, Dave. David Fox mm-hmm. and Natalie. They have foul habits, and they will they pluck the geese, they breast the geese, they'll leave skin on, they'll do whatever you ask, and then you could even fill out your order sheet to get what you. I had one of their meat sticks today. It was a jalapeno cheddar all Canada goose stick. No, 100%. no, no pork added. Nope. That's pretty awesome. And it was delicious. Unbelievable. And then the pastrami was awesome. They also do slab jerky. So check them out. Foul Habits. Look at them on Instagram. I believe it's Foul Habits. I don't want to lead people astray. Do you know what they're... uh, Does anybody know what the... I think it's Foul Habits. I'm going to look it up just so I don't... I want people to follow this girl because she is as passionate as they come. Foul... Man, we load her up with birds and she... Always has a smile on her face. Always, you know, everything is done perfectly and organized and legal and legal. And that's a big deal, right? Because you got you got your reputation on the line of all of your all of your clients. But we do everything by the book. I love that's just the way it is, and that should give people the security of coming up here because you don't want to be looking over your shoulder when you have a reputation like you and you have you have hundreds and hundreds of guns book in a year you have to have somebody like natalie to uphold your reputation and you trust her you got it and you saw at the end of the day today we got the tags you know we're putting the zip tie and the tagging the birds everybody's individual pile and and following it and it goes to natalie and there's paperwork there on file there and everything is legally done and it's it's really nice it's a great service and 
it's sure better than at the end of the day you you know doing it all yourself and trying to figure out then what to do with i did it a next. couple of the day with her i know you did you guys were having a race we were it rolling was, it was pretty good and then i thought the team effort was pretty I, I like good the too team, i like the team mentality better than the racing if you want to hang out and help her out you know i'll, I'll stay i'm gonna stay that would be good i want an internship here i want bob to be i want to shadow bob I like yeah. the movie what about bob i just want to like show up and be like what about it bob yeah yeah teach me some shit the bob. life of bob um it's, it's this is what's cool about natalie she literally told me this today she just went from a flip phone to a smartphone like just in the past couple months buddy this is wyoming we sometimes are a little slower <laughs> you know getting around that's, but that's awesome good. we like it that i wish way. i still had a flip phone once in a while but she just started her instagram yesterday yeah Okay, we need to get her up. Let's everybody listen to this episode of the Fally Podcast. Follow Fal Habits LLC on Instagram. Fal Habits LLC. Let's support Natalie and her husband and their entire endeavor here. They're awesome people. They're passionate. They're educated. Their personalities are great. And I'm talking unbelievable service. Fal Habits. So when you're up hunting your ducks and geese at Wild Brasky, you're going to get to meet Natalie and her husband. And it's an awesome experience. So Let's just talk about who our guest is today. Um, golfer, fly fisherman, goose hunter, duck hunter. I got to ask you this question to start, though, right when I'm introducing you. This is J.J. Randolph, a.k.a. Jason. Or is it Jason, a.k.a. J.J.? I don't know which one it is. Yeah, I don't know which one it is. Let's go with, I'm going with J.J. I like calling you J.J. Yeah. Um, you don't shoot a gun anymore. I mean, you shoot. I'm sure you shoot, but you don't shoot at ducks and geese anymore. No, you're, you're still a young man, in my opinion, you know, like Les is 53. Still okay. That's still young. Les mm-hmm. is 81 and he's still going hard. Well, look at Les. And though. we have John I LaMonaco mean, in camp. He's 91 and he's still going hard. Yeah. The guy's like, he's impressive. The guy's like jumping down into pit blinds at 91. I know. That's I went crazy. to get the step stool. I would turn around and go back to the truck to get a step stool to help him in. And I turn around, he jumped in there yeah. like, you know, a gazelle. He's un- unreal. But, um, you have this. I don't know what your ideology is behind this because I love to shoot still. Now, I'm not saying that I'm mad at them or that I need to pile them up to, to make a memory or write a story. Mm-hmm. But how hard is it? Is it not hard for you at all not to want to pull up and smack one? You know, for me, Chad, it's not hard at all. Um, I've shot a lot of birds in my life. You know, I've been doing this a long time. Uh, 53 years old, started guiding when I was 20 and was an avid waterfowler. Growing up, I mean, started hunting when I was eight years old, you know, and so I've shot a lot of birds in my life. I also have a business that, listen, we shoot a lot of birds every day. You've been to Natalie's, you've seen what goes in there. I guess I kind of feel like maybe it would be good karma if I feel like I've done enough to to have dead birds around that maybe I don't need to pull the trigger myself. And maybe that's something I give back to the birds. Like, you're going to let me do this and... Do any of your guides? No, no. The guides do not shoot at wild brass. Maybe a cripple. Do, not shoot do they carry a gun? Nope. No, they don't even bring a gun into the pit. Nope. Don't even bring a gun into the pit. Wow. No. That's pretty cool. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of reasons for that. I'll tell you, um, it's your trip. You're here to shoot the birds. You don't want your guide shooting the birds for you. You don't want, and I don't want the guide. I love that. I, I don't want the idea. guide shooting his birds when we're done because those may be birds that my customers are going to shoot tomorrow. Every flock you shoot at or every bunch of birds you shoot at, you burn them. Okay. We don't want to burn. We're trying to burn the least amount of birds as possible. So we get our limit of birds and get out of that field. Nope. The guides don't get to shoot them. We're not calling in any friends. We're not calling in other people. We're not going to sit 
that even if we got a hot field, get your limit, get the heck out of there, let those birds pile back in there. Two, three days later, we'll go back in there and get them again. You mentioned fringe right there. So you're telling me, JJ, that you don't even want to call up a couple, maybe a, a owner and guides day or a couple buddies and you go out and wax them? Because I, I, you're, you've caught a lot of fish too, but you still you still reel in a fish once in a while, don't you? Not too Very often. Rarely. Very rarely <laughs> no, on the fish. No. So you don't even you, want to have a friend's hunt with your buddies and go smack them? I, I don't shoot. I have my buddies come and hunt and I don't shoot. You still don't shoot. I sit in the blind and call and work my dog and, and that's what I like to do. By the way, fishing... I don't catch many fish personally anymore either. I get a lot of enjoyment. I've been a guide for a long time. I get a lot of enjoyment out of rowing that boat and saying, Chad, see that rock coming up? I'm going to slow the boat down. Put your fly right behind that rock. There's a fish there. And you pull that off and I pull it off with the boat. And that's a team effort. And to me, I get a lot more out of that than if you say, JJ, you grab the rod well, guess what? I know how to do it, and I've done it before, and I, I, I'm probably going to catch that fish. And that, for me, it's more, it's just more fulfilling to have the customer do it. You don't need the you tug. Know. You don't need the bird falling off your gun I do barrel. not. I, it's I can do that. It's admirable, but I think that you maybe you'll come full circle. Maybe by the time you're 60, you'll want to wax one again. I don't yeah, know. Maybe, maybe. Maybe. Now, I will tell you that I enjoy shooting snow geese, and I do. You're take mad a, at snow I geese. do take, well, I'm not mad at them. I just enjoy them. Well, and, it's funny that you mentioned you know. snow geese, JJ, because I want to get into snow geese. Okay. Because I'm very interested. I think it's very compelling that you were one of the, you were there from day one of the of the spring season, the yeah. depredation season, back in 97, 98. I want to get into that. Day but one. first, I, you're, I talked to your dad a little bit. And by the way, Mike's a badass. That yeah. guy, he's such a gentleman. But he, you're born in South Dakota. How yeah. do you end up in Torrington? <laughs> okay, so Michael's my stepdad. And I was born in, in Sioux Falls. My mom and dad got divorced. I was pretty young. I don't know, six, seven years old. My mom married Michael a couple years later. I have a great relationship with my dad. He lives in Florida. We are best friends. And I have a great relationship with Michael. I'm very blessed to have two great dads. Very blessed with that. Awesome. How I got to Torrington was I grew up hunting with Michael, Missouri River, on the Nebraska-South Dakota border, and on the Platte River west of Omaha. And we would come out to western Nebraska when I was a kid and do a little hunting out west here. I went and guided for quite a few different outfitters. When I turned 20, I hit the road, went and guided for a bunch of guys, North Dakota, South Dakota, Nebraska, Iowa, Wyoming, Utah, all over the place. And after enough years, I decided that I was ready to do it on my own. And Western Nebraska was where Nebraska's home for me. I grew up there. Michael and my mom and I moved to Southeast Nebraska when I was eight, nine years old. And that's where I grew up. Nebraska's home. So I wanted to do it there. So I ended up going out to Western Nebraska, knocking on doors, maxing out my credit card, you know, that kind of stuff, living in hotels, trying to find some property. And I did not have very good luck. I honestly said, well, heck, I got to go to Utah for some things. I think I'll just follow this Platte River into Wyoming and see what's there. And I drove into Torrington and by God, I looked around and there were birds. I said, I'm going to get a hotel room here and stick around for a couple days. I started knocking on some doors. <laughs> if you don't mind, I'll tell you a quick story how I got my first lease here. I, they had a public goose hunting area out south of town. They still have it. You had to go to a check-in station to check in. I went and checked in. I had my goose calls on my neck. And the guy checking me in said, 
hey, buddy, do you know how to blow those goose calls? And I said, I, you know, I've done it before. Okay. He goes, well, let me hear you. So I pick up and I play a little tune. He says, by God, you're pretty good. He says, you want to go hunting with me tomorrow? I said, well, yeah, sure, I guess. So I go hunting with this guy the next day. He says, I tell him what I'm trying to do. I'm looking for some property. He says, oh, I know a guy. You want to go pheasant hunting? We're going pheasant hunting tomorrow with this guy. He owns a bunch of land. I said, yeah, I'll go. He said, we don't have any dogs. You got dogs? I got dogs. Let's go. So we go pheasant hunting the next day. The landowner says at the end of the day, he says, I like you. Your dogs were good. We had a good time. I'll lease you some land. He says, uh, I got this field over here, the geese like. What do you think? I said, yeah. I go, I don't have any money. I mean, I'm, I'm broke. And I'm carrying an over and under shotgun. And he looks at me, he says, well, I've always wanted an over and under. <laughs> and so I turned around, handed him my shotgun and said, there you go, buddy. And that's how I got my first lease in Goshen County. The next year, he says, hey, we have this two-shot goose hunt. It's a charity event we put on here every year. If you put your pit in, you and I get prime rib dinner. What do you say? I go, yeah, man, I don't know. We'll put it in the contest. We put it in the contest. I draw this guy named Tom Harpstreet, who is a local goose hunting kind of guru around here, sort of a legendary goose hunter around here. And I drew him in my blind in this goose hunt. Just total luck, right? Well, Tom and I hit it off. And at the end of the day, Tom says, buddy, you're a pretty good goose caller. I got a couple spots. You want to go goose hunting tomorrow? I said, sure, Tom, I'm not doing anything. The next five days, he took me to a different goose pit every day. And I told him what I was trying to do, start my business and everything. At the end of it, Tom said, well, I'll tell you what, I will lease this land out to you, these goose pits. What I want you to do is have them ready. So if I want to hunt, I can just call you and say what pit's available and I can drive out there and hunt. I said, Tom, you got yourself a deal. I started, we, Tom and I started our partnership. I set up the pits, got the decoys out, all the equipment, camoed them, all that stuff. Tom would call me up. Hey, well, early days, it was just Tom and I hunting before I had customers. <laughs> if you want to hunt tomorrow, I said, yeah, I got everything ready, Tom, let's go. And so Tom and I started this little partnership. And so that was my first five spots that I had was Tom's property plus my friend out South. And I had six spots and I started running a few groups. I said in the beginning, I even told my friend Tom, I said, here's my goal. I want to book a hundred days in a row for me. I'm a guide every day of the season. You think we can do that? Tom said, I think you can do it. Started booking customers, got some guys come. They said, yeah, we'll come back. Hey, we're going to bring some friends. The next thing I know, I booked a hundred days in a row for myself. That went on for years. I didn't have another guide, just myself. I was guiding a hundred days. This is like 98, somewhere 98? Yeah, it's probably 98, 2000, 2001, 2000, right in there. And I'm doing a hundred days by myself. Finally, all my clients are saying, buddy, we want to bring more guys. You got to get another guide, find more property. So I did that, got another guide, got some more property, filled that up. All those guys said, buddy, you need, we want to bring more people. Okay, I'll go find another guide, more property. I got Bob to come out. Bob came out. 
got some more property. Pretty soon, Bob and I filled everything up. Buddy, you need no more guides. Anyway, took us to where we are today, which is I've got over 20 different locations now that we hunt, run four groups a day, got four full-time guides working for me and a couple part-times in case Bob needs a day off, which he never does because he he's Iron Man, you know. But uh, And so that's kind of how it all happened. So why Obraska is built on, obviously, dedication, passion, tenacity. But the truth be told, it's built on goose call. If you did not have the guess, if you did not I, yeah. have the talent to blow a flute call or a short recall, I don't know what it was. That was right short when the short read was breaking it in. It was short read. 97, 98. Kelly won yeah. the worlds in 99. It, it was a half read. breed and the super Yeah, Tim, Tim had just come out with the short recalls yep. at that time. Yep. Wild Brassica's built because you could blow a goose call. Because the first guy that you show up, if you sound like shit, you're not going to go hunting with him the next day. I guess. I haven't thought of it He's not going to introduce but, you to anybody either. He's yeah. going to be embarrassed. Like, uh, maybe you should go back to nebraska or something you know like this company was kind of started on the ability to blow a goose call it was that's kind of cool. you know and that was uh yeah you're right kind of early on in it the flute calls were big you remember like oh, yeah. uh, ron winnicky had the ron gander winnicky. lander and it was uh, big river the big it, river and then tim, and, came, tim yep. came out with the guide's best which yep, was a flute exactly call. and then it was the half breed yep. and then we started blowing the half breed and then the super magnum and it and dude it went it's so funny there. you just mentioned winnicky we were driving up from bluff mm -hmm. from scott's bluff no before Scott's Bluff, we come to Oshkosh, and I'm like, hey, I look at Eli, one of our producers. He's really, really passionate about waterfowl. And I'm like, when I first got into this game, I had VHS tapes called um, – oh, God, now I'm not even going to remember. Winnikies? Winnikie had Shoot them all. Him the Shoot them in the lip. Shoot them in the lip. And I'm lips. like, he would always get up and yell, they're off the water. They're off the water. <laughs> yes. And I'm like, this was considered one of the – like Oshkosh, Nebraska was considered one of the top places in the country for Canada geese at that time, oh, right? Oh, absolutely. And yeah. I don't know if it still is. I mean, this whole corridor is awesome right yeah. here. But when you when, when back in my day of coming up, and I started in like, um, I want to make sure that I get the date right. I started calling in like 1998, mm -hmm. calling, you know, using a duck or a goose call. And Ron Winnicky, he passed. And he, how did he pass? He was young. Yeah, he passed away. Well, Ron... Did you know Ron at all? No, I did not. Was he a partier? <laughs> Ron was a little bit of a partier. He was a partier. Ron was a little uh, overweight, and um, I think that might have caught up with him, you know. Um, man, that guy, to be quite honest with you, he he was a mastermind. He invented some of the coolest stuff that's not out there anymore the because he passed chair, away. Was it? The goose decoy chair was his. He had a cow blind, the a two-man yep. cow blind that was awesome. He had a hillside blind. You should have seen it. He made it all out of like conduit that it came up like gradually from all ends and just sloped so it looked like just a kind of a little mound and it was invisible it was amazing he had this thing called the layout lanyard yep. where you oh, call yeah. you remember that that was the out. best lanyard ever you just reach down grab your call let it go and it zung i mean he had a whole bunch of stuff ron i gotta hand it to the guy i mean he invented some pretty cool stuff now, i remember one of them was like the cornfield camo he had on the the i bet you i still have those vhs tapes yeah back in the day i, I used yeah. to love it was he funny. also made me my first um electronic snow goose my first live snow goose recorded tapes that i ever Cassettes? that i cassette tape that i ever put into a loman or johnny stewart box call 
Ron made those for him. He had a parabolic microphone, and he went out and he recorded live snow geese, and then he spliced it all together to be a sequence where it would start out, you know, hail calling them or whatever, and then there'd be a bunch of moans, and then it Innovative, would. Innovative. It, it kind of was cool. So I used that tape like the first two years of the spring snow goose conservation season for sure. That so you, that's one. what I want to talk to you about is that this is like 97, 98, the government puts into effect, but you were telling me that Nebraska actually had one of the first or the first late season, February season. Is that true? The first. It was February, the first. Uh, yeah, it was February, and it didn't go quite as long. It went into March a little bit, and uh, there was a limit, but it was still pretty high. You know, we weren't shooting uh, limits. They might have started out with a 10-bird limit and then gone to 20, and then when the conservation season opened up, went no limit, you know. And, uh, yeah, you couldn't use electronic calls. We mouth-called the heck out of them. I mean, I never blew so hard on a snow goose call in my entire life. Um, but we had two, a year and a half of doing that, a year and part of a season before electronic calls became legal, and I think it was 98. And uh, – we didn't know if they were going to be legal. I remember I had that Johnny Stewart box call with Winnikey's tape sitting out there beside the blind. And Dave Beam, who was a snow goose pioneer who I worked for, drove up on the dam, walkie-talkied me. Hey, buddy, those are legal now. Turn it on. And I reached down and pushed play on that thing. And I'm telling you, in the beginning, those snow geese would be off to the side of you in either way. And just you turn that thing on, point the speaker at them, and they just turn and come right to you where now is time has evolved well, my view is if they don't come right right over the top of you yeah. you're not pulling them anymore but back in that day you just i mean it was like magic you know <laughs> you magic. turn that thing on and point it over there and until your tape ran out you were doing pretty good i um i want to get back to the beginning stages of wild brassica but you have a you have a water spread in the early days of the depredation season three four hundred floaters. Mm -hmm. Sometimes you had some full bodies or silhouettes on the shoreline. Yeah, you have a blind there, and you're running three to four or five guys at a time. Yeah, on this water spread. Yeah, these geese are migrating. You want a north northwest wind. They're bucking the wind, trying to get back north. The juvies are usually going to wait until the very end yep. to go because they're not in a hurry to breed. They don't breed until they're two or three, so they're not really in a hurry to get back up like the adults are. Correct. Like a guy running as fast as he can when he turns 16, whatever it is. Yeah. But this the, these, this this water blind is, is, is effective because these migrators are dehydrated. They want to get to the water like mallards do when they yeah. migrate. I've yeah. seen some Canada geese light in dry fields on a migrator day. Yeah. You know, I have seen that. But usually yeah. on a migrator day – you want to be on water. On water. They've Middle of the day, we would kill them from 11 o'clock to 3 o'clock. In the morning, they'd fly right by us. And I would explain it to my customers. Look, you don't hop on the interstate in the morning and stop at McDonald's immediately. Right? It's noon. You got to stop, get a drink, get a rest, whatever. And these birds are getting up. I don't know if they're coming from Squaw Creek in Missouri, you know, where I am. If they're coming from Kansas somewhere, maybe as far down as southern Missouri. And they are flying for hours and hours. And by the time they get to me, now it's time for a break. And we're on a water set. And it's... We want to get a drink. It's hot. It's it's time to come down. And 11 o'clock to 3 o'clock, boy, we would light them up. So it's sunny days you want. Absolutely. You, you got the north-northwest wind. They're bucking the wind. They got the reflection of the water. They see the white. They're dancing in the ripples. Are, are, are the snow geese, the population of snow geese, now there's a reason why this season's put in effect because there's too many snow geese. Right. 
their numbers have continued to grow. I don't even know if this season's put a dent in them in the last two decades. I don't know if it has or not. I'm going to say it probably hasn't. Mm-hmm. Um, but this water spread, I'm trying to picture it. Is it if they see it, they're dead? If they fly over you, is are you decoying every bird you see when no. it's that time of the day, when it's the right time yeah, of the day? Yeah, there's a certain time of the day. And no, you're not decoying every bunch. And I'll tell you what, what messes this up. Well, I got out of the business a couple of years ago. Bob's actually doing a little bit of it back where we did it. But what, you can't believe how many bunches of snow geese we get screwed up by eagles these days. When I started in 98, we didn't see eagles. They didn't... They weren't a factor in our hunting. And honest to God today, I can't tell you how many bunches of snow geese we get working and an eagle comes by. And it doesn't matter if that eagle is a speck in the sky or down on the ground, those snow geese bug out faster than you've ever seen. And so that takes care of several flocks throughout the days where you just go, well, eagled, we're done on that one. And they're out of there. And it's, it's impressive. Like, I've seen them do that before, and they act like a school of fish. And they're out of there. And I'm just like, there's got to be an eagle. And I'm looking, and I'm looking. And, I mean, he's a speck so high up there, you can't like barely. But they know. Those snow geese know. And it was amazing. But, no, you know, just like Canada hunting, like we had this morning. You get a bad wind day, winds out of the wrong direction, tough to finish, you know, those kind of things all come into effect. But I do feel like, man, we really decoyed a lot of birds to for snow geese to really close range. You know, we were shooting them straight out. Not up, you know, out they, like back this, flapping in the back water. flapping over the decoys, and and that was, it was a lot of fun. It was a good time. What were what the 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 mindset today is? I'm not eating a snow goose. I'm gonna pepperoni them. I'm gonna jerky them. A lot of people are, you know, do, donating them to feed mm-hmm. the hungry. They'll mm-hmm. do whatever. I mean, I told you stories about the zoos, you know, that, that yeah. feed them to the lions and tigers. What was the mindset back then when this season first started, when these clients are booking with you, are they like, oh man, I'm taking these all home? Or what was the mindset of the snow goose back then? Well, I'm going to be honest with you, you know, and I've dealt with this throughout my career is that you do have hunters call and say, look, we want to come hunting, but we don't want the birds. Well, I don't know why you're coming hunting then, because that's kind of all part of it, you know, and snow geese, like, um, we'd have a lot of guys I mean, in the early days when we were shooting a lot, sausage was a big thing. You know, summer sausage, sticks, like you're talking about, um, things like that. Uh, you know, uh, breakfast sausage was another one, you yeah. know, we'd had made up. Just like I have here, I always had a bird cleaner there. Every town I go to, I'm going to run a hunting operation. I find myself somebody wants to do that part of it because i don't have time for it you know and uh, so i had a bird cleaner there and same thing they would breast them out leave the wing on on those because of the snow goose in the spring you really got to make sure you do that because it could be a speckle belly could be a canada you know you got to check that and uh, he would leave a wing on and process them and guys take them home and take them to a butcher and have them made into sausage that was pretty pretty popular thing but snow geese are man they get a bad rap. They get a, they Dave get a Stan- bad my rap. My buddy Dave Stanley, who I was talking to you about the day, the fly fisherman, mm-hmm. he loves grilling them steak style, especially the juvies. Mm-hmm. 
He my buddy it. Jim Jones up in Casper, Prairie Wind Decoys, is an avid snow goose hunter. Snow goose hunts all over, and he will swear up and down a young snow geese is as good a snow goose is as good to eat as a speckle belly. Really? He'll flat out look you in the eye and go, "Give me a juvenile snow goose." And I mean, put it right next Dave to a speckle belly, and thing. I'll I'll take it. You he know. Now thing. I think where they get a bad rap is another reason why they're so smart and tough to get is they live 25, old. 30 years. Yeah, they're old. You know, we got them banded. We had one band one year was twenty four years old. We got numerous bands that were seventeen, nineteen. You know, that many years old. Maybe that's why. I wonder if that twenty four you know, year old goose gets clipped at like seventy yards. He's like, "You gotta be kidding me! <laughs> right. Are you, you freaking kidding me? <laughs> I'm twenty four years old, man. I'm supposed to, um, I gotta ask you this though. Going back to the beginning stages of Wild Brassica, and you make this commitment. I'm gonna book a hundred days, hundred groups. How do you get the word out there? Because you only have a guy that leases you land. He's local to this area. He's hunting with you every day. Mm-hmm. How do you start? How do, is it? Is it the little black and white square box in the back of Wildfowl and Ducks Unlimited? Is it Ron Winicky putting it on his shoot him in the lips VHS tapes? How do you get the word out? You know, I didn't do any of that. I've been a fly fishing guide for a long time. Oh, I got so you. So I got a couple fly fishing clients. I tell them, hey, I got a hunting business going. Well, man, I'd like to come hunt with you. Okay, great. And they came and had a great time, and they told their buddies, hey, man, I had a great time. You ought to go hunt with my buddy JJ. I got another group. They told their buddies. I did one TV show, and this was, uh, God, what year was that? It was maybe 2000 or something. There was a uh called Doug Miller Outdoors in Utah. Doug Miller was a big personality. I can remember his, if you like big bucks and Dutch oven cooking, come with me, the adventure of a lifetime, Doug Miller Outdoors. You know, this big booming voice. And he was a Utah um, character. Everybody in Utah knew who he was. Well, he called, he was coming out for our two shot goose hunt, which is a charity event we do in this town for the community. He came out to film that and said hey I, I need a guide they put him with me we went and did a show i got maybe four groups from salt lake city out of that show those four groups two of them are still coming today wow. and those four groups turned into they told their buddies who told their buddies turned into a whole bunch of groups which groups turned into. And that was the only advertising I did for a long time was just word of mouth. And that one Doug Miller show, which got me only like four groups, but they they got me more groups. And uh, so basically that's how it went for a long time until I finally got to that point where I went, okay, well, you know what happens when you get more leases, more equipment, more, all that stuff. You got to run more hunters because somebody's got to pay for that. And so as I got bigger and all of a sudden, well, I'm getting more leases. I'm getting more of this. Well, all of a sudden, well, who's going to pay for that? I better book more hunters. And then we started, you know, doing a little advertising and uh, that sort of thing. But for a long time, it was just, just word of mouth. Tell me this, JJ, why? I mean, there's the Butte Sink of California. There's Stuttgart, Arkansas, which is coined the capital of ducks right? The duck capital of the world. Why this area? Why does it, first of all, why does it attract them? And I, and I, okay, I'm, I have some ideas of why it does, but I want to know from, from you of being here so long, why does it get them here? And most importantly, why in the freak are they still here in January? Yeah. Well, I'll tell you, 
this is almost a little banana belt here. Okay, we get some cold weather. I don't want to steer anybody wrong and say, oh, you're going to come out here and we're just hunting in our Crocs and sandals all the time. Okay, it's not that way. We get some cold weather, but it doesn't last too long. You were here a couple of days ago. It was really cold and the last two days have been warm, you know, pretty warm in the afternoon. And so I think... These birds come out of Alberta and Montana. My birds are not Dakota birds. They're not, you know, they are coming out of Alberta and Montana for me. Now, I think western Nebraska will pick up some of the Dakotas. And those birds get down along the North Platte River and move up and down it. But they come out when that gets frozen out there. Then those late season Canadas and Mallards come down to me here. And here's a couple things that happen. One, we always have open water. For whatever reason, there's just so many warm springs along this part of the North Platte River that it really doesn't freeze. It might slush once in a while, but it doesn't freeze solid. So we've got open water. We've got a lot of cornfields, a lot of wheat fields, a lot of food for the birds, okay? We have a lot of refuge. This community has done an unbelievable job over the years at creating refuges okay refuges are a big thing if you don't have reserves and refuges you're not going to have birds okay hunting pressure whatever will run them out okay what we have here are several and in nebraska and in wyoming both but in this area several nice refuges that really hold the birds but they're not, there but they're not federal refuges you said community community refuges this is you gotta so, explain this to me well so there was a guy in 1976, George Rakestraw was his name here. He decided we could have Canada geese here. He started, like a lot of places did back then, went around with nesting projects and putting the goose nests out and things like that, trying to establish a local, you know, population here, okay? And then he went around and talked to farmers, talked to landowners, and he got these reserves established. There's a lake out south of town called Springer Reservoir. It's a big reservoir. Holds a lot of birds. It's all reserve. And it is pretty much um, a handshake deal with the people around the lake who own the property that this is reserve. And it's been that way since 1976. There's areas on the river the same way that George went up and down and got people to agree. Let's turn this to a refuge. I hope it never changes. I hope I, th I think they do. I think people in this community realize what that does for us here. I mean, it brings a lot of hunters in, brings, it helps the economy, it helps the farmers, it helps a lot of people. That's what it's turned into. I maybe didn't have that vision in the beginning, but it really uh, has done a lot. And not only that, but this community is full of just guys who like to hunt. There's a lot. You heard shots the last couple of days. You said, oh, are those your guys? No, that's just. There's hunters. And I yeah, see another a guy who lives too. down the street here. He's got a pit over here. He's going hunting, and that's great. We do a community charity event, Goose Hunt, the two-shot I've been talking about. I put on the Tom Harp Street Memorial Youth Hunt every year. There's 50 kids in that. The community really embraces that kind of stuff. So here. when you say so, refuge, though, JJ, um, is it just water? The refuge is just the water, the yeah. lake you're talking about? Just water. Just roof spots. You got to have roof wow, spots. That's, so this guy comes up with this idea all the way back 
way before Canada Goose Hunt was popular, really. There weren't even Canada geese here to speak. I mean, not like there are today. You know, the goose Canada goose population is just blowing up the last 20 years, you know, and uh, or longer. And at that time, yeah, there were some geese coming through, but not the numbers we see today. And uh, But those reserves, now these birds stop. And yeah, and they don't go. They're not going. I tell people, you know, we had a big snowstorm the other day. A couple of locals called me and said, hey, do you think the geese are going to stick around or is the snow going to run them out? I said, heck yeah, they're going to stick around. Buddy, they got nowhere to go. This is home. They know the snow is going to melt in a few days. They're just going to stick it out. And they got plenty of corn here. They got reserve. Goshen County limits goose hunting. You can only hunt geese till one o'clock except for saturdays and wednesdays you can hunt all day and after the first of the year you can hunt saturday sunday wednesday all day the rest of the time after one o'clock the whole county is a refuge you can't shoot him why would a goose leave he's got the whole county to feed in so you being where you sit right now if you were the lawmaker would you make it seven days a week one o'clock cut off or what would you do i would keep it at saturday and sunday i or i mean uh, saturday and wednesday i would keep the two days a week where you can hunt all all day i don't want i'm very much uh for the um you know for the general hunter for the public for the public hunter and i realize there are guys gotta work can't get out uh maybe saturday is the only day they have to hunt and you know they want to hunt all day so I, i realize that and i'm trying to compromise and there are days too when it gets cold you know, where it gets really, really cold that maybe some days they don't even fly till almost one o'clock just because of the oh, cold so weather, that, you know, that. and I'll hear people go, oh, they know what the one o'clock hour is. And that's not why it's happening. It's because it was really cold out that day. And some days they just don't fly. It gets below below zero or until late in the afternoon. But for the most part, I am a huge believer in it. I think it keeps geese in the county. I think it makes them easier to decoy, which is important in getting good, clean kill shots and not a bunch of, you know, sky busting. This community is also really good about decoying birds and caring for our there's not a lot of skybusters and um and I don't mean to badmouth skybusters, that's not where I was going, but there's I'm just gonna say there's a lot of guys here who are good goose hunters, take pride in getting them in close and getting good clean shots. And I think it bodes well for the whole community. When you when you start thinking about your early days of starting this business, mm-hmm. and you've made it, you've done an unbelievable job. This is awesome, truly is. Thank my, you. My hat's off to you. What about a young kid coming in here right now, 20 years old, loves to fly fish, mm-hmm. drives through Torrington on his way to Salt Lake City and goes, holy geez, mm-hmm. is there room? Or and I'm and I'm not trying to open up your little business mind here, mm-hmm. but it seems to me like this is pretty much spoken for. Now, am I am I premature in saying that? No, you're not premature in saying that. This is a, a pretty private, you know, hunting around here. And this, I wouldn't say just this whole Wyoming area, but this goes for Western Nebraska too, and all over. For example. I've got a river lease we might go hunt tomorrow. I haven't talked to my scouts yet to see how it looked. But a river lease down in Nebraska, I've had it for 20 years. I share that. This gentleman owns two miles of river. I lease the top mile. 
The guys who lease the bottom mile have had the lease for 50 years. Their grandpas had it. Their dads took it over. Now the kids have it. Their kids come hunting. They're probably going to take it over someday. The lease that I have, five years before I got it, I went in and talked to the guy who owned the property, and he said, no, it's not available. He called me five years later and said the guy who had it passed away. Are you still interested in the lease? And I got it and have never given it up. So that's just an example of how it works around here. You know, it's uh, if you don't have something leased or have a grandpa and grandma or some family or something. And I, I, we do have some public areas and Nebraska has some public areas. And I, I think you can find some public areas and you get out onto the you know, the outskirts and get way away from the river. And you might be able to knock on a door and find a, you know, farmer that, that'll let you hunt, you know? Um, but it's a friendly community and, uh, you know, people are real nice here. And, uh, but, uh, but finding a place to hunt around here is, is tough if you're not a local. I got to ask you this on the same, the same, um, trail that we're going down this little rabbit hole of the business mind, the entrepreneurial mind, mm-hmm. you work for yourself. Mm-hmm. You guide for another service because you have admitted to me, I like being the freaking guide once in a while. Yeah. Picking my fishermen up, taking them out, oh, matching yeah. the hatch, catching them some fish, dropping them back off. Oh, yeah. Um, why? I want to make sure that I word this right as far as the business, the business part of you of of the the why of, you know, the why Obraska mindset is why have you not. And I hope that you don't take this the wrong way because this is beautiful up here, right? Mm-hmm. Why have you never gone as far as what you see in other areas of like the enticing lodge and a private chef and mm-hmm. unbelievable rooms and mm-hmm. bocce ball or foosball mm-hmm. or ping pong? You know, right. you know, you know what I'm getting at? Like, I do. This this could have been something to where you had this piece of property with this long driveway and this lodge that looked like a man. You know what I'm saying? Like right. the, the hunting would match that. I'm not mm-hmm. saying that you don't have because this lodge right here, the South Bunkhouse, is unbelievable. And Bob, is it Bob that owns this? Uh, Tom. Tom, unbelievable. Mm-hmm. Him and his wife, yeah. and they also have the other one. He's he's done well from in the building industry mm-hmm. but why have you never had that mindset of like i'm going bigger with a lodge and i'm gonna do i'm gonna do it bigger well i'll tell you bigger was never what i had in mind what i had in mind to start with was booking myself 100 days you know and enjoying waterfowl hunting enjoying time with a select people you know i was real picky about my customers too i i want people who are enjoying what i'm enjoying you know and having a good having a good time and the, i really feel like if i had ever done that lodge i really would have lost um some family time a lot of the and some of the personal aspect that i have with my customers I mean, you start I'm not downplaying it either, and I, and I see the maybe the financial gain and those kinds of things, but I also looked at it as I saw, oh, I'm getting a call at 1 o'clock in the morning. The toilet's clogged. The heater's not working. You got any more blankets? Um, you know, so-and-so's sick. Can somebody take him to the hospital? You know, all those things that come with running a lodge. The housekeeper didn't show up. The cook didn't show up. The And that all lies on me. Well, I wanted to be in the field with my hunters. I like 
I like to sit down with my hunters. I don't know if you've noticed, but I make it a point to go around and get with every that. customer every night, every morning. I try to touch base with everybody. I call them all, check in with them during the day. That personal uh, service or commitment to the customer to me is real important. And I just thought, just felt when I went with the lodge that um, I would lose family time. I would lose some of that personal uh relationships i had with the customer and uh to be honest with you it just kind of seemed more of a pain in the butt than i wanted to deal so there's with. no chance that you'll ever build a lodge for wild brassica um i'm not gonna say there's, there's no, no chance, chance. There, there, <laughs> i wouldn't go be. as far as saying that but uh i'm not gonna i'm gonna what say kind not of guy, next what year. kind of guy are you jj i i, I ask you this in um the other day you opened your door and I heard music and I got a little bit closer and I'm like, it's got to be Cadillac Ranch or Copenhagen Angel by Chris Ledoux because we're in Chris Ledoux's backyard. <laughs> I think he was from Casey, Wyoming. Yeah. Um, but you were listening to reggae, I think. Was, am I, I was right? Listening to the, I was listening to the Grateful Dead. Oh, is it the Grateful <laughs> Dead? Yeah, yeah. So are you a deadhead? Well, I wouldn't say I'm a deadhead, but I go to a few shows and I like their music and uh, I got a little bit of old hippie in me somewhere. But you we know? do share so. the same love for Axl Rose because you heard Absolutely. me. Absolutely. My dog's I, name. My music, I'm a, I have a wide variety of music me that too. I listen to, but, uh, but my station is on either the PGA Network or the Grateful Dead channel about 95% So you don't, you don't, you don't, you don't dig any cowboy country music or you do? I listen to some country. I like old country. You like George Strait? I like George Straight. I love the Willie Waylon. and Waylon. I like George Jones. I like all the old stuff. You just stuff. don't like the shit they play. I don't yeah. like the new stuff. I'm not like a big fan of the, you know, there's a couple stations there. My, my kid listens to country a little bit and he'll turn it on and I'm like, what? Are you sure that's country? <laughs> okay, you Chris gotta... Ledoux, I love Chris oh, Ledoux. I, I mean, come Chris on, Ledoux. you know. Call it Miss Chris Ledoux. Yeah, yeah. I saw him live so many times. I got to ask you this, and I want you to think hard on this, and maybe you don't even need to think hard to answer this question, but when was the last time you scored a donut hole in guiding? Any of your guides, Bob or any of them, the last time you got skunked? Because I, I look at your leases, and I look at your pits, I look at your trailers and your decoy spreads, your calling, the proficiency when was the last time somebody called you a guide, ba, whoever it was, or yourself personally and said, we didn't get him? Because to me, I said this today several times to you. I looked at you and go, dude, the, you could kill Canada geese here 24 hours a day, it seems like, right? If you could hunt them at night, you'd kill them here. But well, don't it, ever take anything I, for granted. I know this, but I'm just <laughs> no. asking. I had this talk with my guide, Cole, the other day. Cole was telling me, look how great this is. We got all these birds. We're limiting every day. This is awesome. But I said, Cole, you're going to jinx yourself. Nothing stays the same forever. It can't last forever. That's just the way it is. You're going to be out there one day, even when you got a gazillion geese here, one day they're going to land across the street from you and black hole you, and you're going to have 10,000 sitting across the street from you, and you can't touch them. And that's just the way it goes sometimes, you know? So I... We've had a great season this year. I, we haven't had too many skunks on waterfowl in general. Maybe a few, okay? But trying to get that combo of Canada geese and mallards all in the same day is really a trick. And Canada geese are much more dependable. They're going to come out and feed twice a day, at least once a day, just about every single day. Ducks... There are sometimes they could care less. You can have 
50,000 of them sitting on the refuge and it's a nice, sunny, beautiful day and they don't move. And all of a sudden you could be there the day we had this happen today. Yesterday we hunted this pit in the afternoon for mallards, buddy. The sky was full of ducks. You can, you weren't there, but ask the people who were, it was nonstop. My lips were cramping. My hand was cramping from calling so much. It was unbelievable. Tonight, you and I went back to the same pit, no wind, sunny day. We didn't see a duck till after shooting time. Okay. So don't take anything for granted. You can smash them one day and the next day they just make you look stupid. And that's just the way it is, you know? And so I try not to take anything for granted and not get too confident in it, but we're having a great year. Montana froze this year. Got really, really cold, got snow, froze up the rivers up there, put snow on the ground, covered the food. This is where they come next. They're here. You're here. That doesn't happen every year. Last year, we had a tough year. I'll be the first one to admit, never got cold up north. Never had any ice, never had any snow. Birds didn't come down. We were shooting birds, but we were scrapping. We were, man, we were throwing portable blinds up, which I don't do. You see me throw a portable blind up. Either I got a really hot duck field or we're getting our ass kicked and we had to go find a spot, you know? And so we did everything under our power last year to kill birds and it was tough. I mean, we worked so hard, but this year birds are here, you know, got the right weather. That's what it's all about. It's getting that right weather to, you know, get them down here. And then, you know, then it's up to us to work with them. Getting back to what we alluded to at the beginning of this. And I know that we're coming to an end. The only reason that we're coming to an end is because you have a whole slew of new clients coming in. I got a couple groups. I got to go check in. You're the face man. You need to go say hello. I get it. We will do this again. I'm going to come up and fish with you this summer. Yeah, please. I think Les is going to come. Les, you're going to go fishing. Come on, Les. Let's go fish. Les wants to go. Yeah, let's Um, do it. Talk to me a little bit about the attitude of a client. Um, Let's take into perspective tonight. Do you ever, with your reputation and with your consistency of, you know, loyal, passionate clients, you have a lot of guys that have been coming here 15, 20 years. Yeah. Yeah. what does a hunt like tonight do to a group of clients at Wyo, Nebraska? Do you have to explain yourself or are they more like, hey, shit happens. They understand it because they've been coming here so long. But at the back end of your answer, JJ, I want you to talk to me. How do you deflect that in an, in an honest way of like, hey, it's hunting. Mm-hmm. I put you in the spot where I thought we were going to get them. Mm-hmm. But all the ducks went that way. JJ, don't you know what you're freaking doing? Right. Are you kidding me? We're over here. They went that way. Why are right. we not over that way? You know, how do you do that in your mind? Because I guided, I had an ownership in a company called Central Kansas Outfitters down by Hutchinson, Kansas. It was the most stressed I've ever been in my life because I didn't want to let anybody down. Yeah. And you have all these unbelievable people coming in here. I met some of them last night at dinner. Mm-hmm. We're going, we are going to talk about that duck we ate last night. Oh, yeah. But how do you, how do you deal with that? How do, do you deflect it? Are you all always transparent are all of your clients understanding or do you get that one client or a couple of year that are like hey mm-hmm. this is some bullshit yeah <laughs> i, I came here a couple to kill of year. i'm pretty lucky that i do have a lot of return clients have been coming for a long time those customers know i mean they've been here for good hunts they've been here for bad hunts they understand they know our weather patterns they they'll they'll look at the weather for me some of my old guys they'll call me and be like 
whoa, buddy, not looking good. I just looked at the weather and, you know, and those guys know. And I'll say, hey, man, yeah, but there's some birds around. We're picking away at them, you know, come on out, you know, whatever. Um, and then there's the, so the old customers are great. They've all been here for enough good hunts to know. And then there's the new customer that comes every year. And we've had quite a few this year. And we've had some amazing, we picked up some amazing new groups this year. Some really cool are going to come back, going to be coming for years, you know. And uh, that's great. That being said, I've had a few that weren't happy, you know. This is my speech. I've done my best to lease up the best property. I got what I think are the best blinds. They're camouflaged. I got the best decoy spreads that, I mean... I can get with the amount of money I have, <laughs> you know, at the best, I got the best guides. Okay. I got all of that going for me. That that's what I can control. I can give you the best guides, the best equipment, the best spots. That's what I can control. Now I need a little help from mother nature, you know, to, to make that all work, but that's what I can control. And that, that's what I tell guys. I'm pretty up forward and honest with them. I don't blow smoke up anybody. I'll tell them exactly, you know, this is what, there's no guarantees. If we get the right weather, you're going to get them. Now, like for us, again, like our goose hunting is pretty consistent and the, and the duck hunting is, I mean, it's consistent, but it's duck hunting. Ducks are up and down, you know? And so that makes it tough. Um, I've had a few unhappy customers this year, just a couple. Now, this year? This year. Really? Now, yeah. I mean... Things happen out there. Everybody's different, right? I had a couple of guys come. Uh, they hunt in a different area. I think they're used to shooting at high birds, okay? Shad, one of my guides. You haven't heard Shad Goose Call yet? Is he the one who was here last? Is his he's name? Here. So he's not Chad. He's not Shad. Chad. Shad with an S, like okay. the fish. He's one of the best goose callers you've ever heard. I got to hear him. I'm telling Let's you. Let's invite him to dinner tonight. Yeah, he is. I did invite him. I don't know if he's coming, but he is badass. His he's wife's one, awesome, too. Yeah, he's one of the best goose. I mean, that guy on a goose call, he's better been blowing it. I, since, better than you and I, be honest. <laughs> he's been blowing it since he was a little kid. He yeah, can hammer, I mean, huh? he is really good. And hold on now, Bob's, Bob's <laughs> over here going, wait, wait. Bob's a great goose call. Anyway, my guides are all great goose callers. That's the point. So when somebody calls and says, you gave me a guide who didn't know how to call geese. You gave me a guide who didn't know how to call the shot. And we're disappointed. And I'm thinking, are you are you serious right now? Really? Well, I got to investigate this a little bit. And as I questioned Shad, and it turns out, I mean, Shad did have some shots that day at 70 yards. He did have a couple of shots that landed to the left side of the blind where he couldn't call the shot because we don't want people shooting down the end of the pit and shooting over everybody's heads. Also, he got his limit that day. Now, there were only two guys, and they let a lot of birds pass, but Shad knew we have enough geese. I'm going to wait until I get them all right in the kill hole. These guys can hit them. We don't wound anything. We get our limit and get out of here. Well, these guys were from a different area, and they shoot at high birds. And they didn't quite understand. And uh, I'll tell you, I've been doing this quite a while. I've got a lot of good customers, a lot of people coming back. And I really, some guys you just can't explain it to. And I'll just go, well, sorry about that. I'll give you your money back. But if that's, you know, if you really think it was that bad of an experience and you're that disappointed, I'll give you your money back and I probably won't invite you back. Hopefully, <laughs> hopefully clients see 
the whole picture, the big picture. I of, think they do of most the, of, of them the great do. leases. Yeah. Of the knowledge. Yeah. The hides, the pit blinds are unreal. Like yeah. those things are indestructible. Yeah. Unless it's the flood of 2000. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. And then you walk, was it 2004? <laughs> yeah. It was what like was four it? years ago. Oh, that was like, that. Or was that? Yeah. It was that year. recent. Yeah. That was, but the pit blinds are unreal. They're concealed. The decoy spreads are awesome. Yeah. Um, I got to ask you this real quick along these lines before we get out of here. Outfitter programs. You wear a different brand than what I like. Mm -hmm. You run a different decoy spread than what I run. Mm -hmm. Outfitter programs are offered through these companies. Mm -hmm. I want you to answer me as honest as you can. Okay. Does it make a shit? Do you, I got to know this because of my brands. Do you have a lot of clients walk up to you and go, where do I get these decoys? What are you wearing? What gun is that? Mm -hmm. What ammo are you shooting? Mm -hmm. Who trained your dog? Mm Mm-hmm. Do you have a lot of that? Does it work? Does the does the outfitter program work to where these clients are coming here and not just booking a hunt and killing geese and ducks with you, but they're learning and and, and they're they're being a sponge and they're taking all of this in and they're going, hey, if JJ and Bob and everybody at Wild Brassica is this consistently successful, I got to be running what they're running. Does it work? And should us as re, uh, as manufacturers be paying more attention to what your word of mouth and what your validation, your credibility stands for? Yes. The answer is yes. yes. I absolutely think you should pay attention. I can't tell you my dog breeder in Indiana that I get all my dogs from. I don't want to, I don't know how many dogs I've sold for him over the years of clients that have gotten in my blind and went, man, those dogs are awesome. Where'd you get them? Okay, call Bill, my friend Bill Cox in Valparaiso, Indiana. Give him a call. He'll get you a dog. Boom. I mean, I don't know how many dogs I've sold for him. They all come. A lot of them ask, you know, what brand, whatever we're using. Why do you like that? And 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 why this? And I see it in fishing as well. You know, I'm using a certain fishing rod, and the guys are like, wow, let me cast that rod. You really like that? And so, yes, I think the manufacturer should pay attention to that. And I think some of them do, and I think some of them don't. I'm going to tell you another thing. I'm going to tell you the number one thing that bothers me with manufacturers, since you are in the business, if you want to know this, I'm going to tell you. But say it like in a nice way. It's going to be a nice way. Don't hurt my feelings, JJ. My guides have heard me say this, and usually like cussing at it and yelling more times than not, who field tests this crap? I can't tell you how many times I take a flag out of the deal and wave it a few times and it breaks. Breaks. And I'm like, are you serious? Nobody. I mean, you guys, you you know, must know people who hunt. Did you not? give this to somebody who avidly hunts who went out and flapped his flag and said came back and said chad i'm sorry this thing breaks in 10 minutes you know things like that irritate me with i would like to see and i don't know if they do it in your manufacturer and you could let me know i would love to see more outfitter field testing i would love a company to give me a flag and say this is a prototype we haven't put it on the market yet, but you hunt all the time. You're out here. Your guides are rough on equipment. We need to know if this is going to hold up. Put it to the test because I see so much equipment that does not pass my test, my field test. It drives me nuts. But I do think that that we definitely get guys asking about our guns. What kind of gun do you shoot? I get that all the time. I don't even have a gun, so it doesn't. I do have a Benelli 20 gauge Montefeltro, and if I do shoot, 
that's what I shoot, you know? That's good. Yeah, it's a great gun. So light, you could swing it. And it's, I'm shooting on ducks, Canada, snow geese, pheasants. That's the only gun I use. It's great, you know? Um, but they ask you that all the time. What gun do you use? What? Why do you like these decoys? Why do you like those spinners? Why do you get that question a lot? So, yes, as a manufacturer, you, you should pay attention to that, in my opinion. Okay, let's end it like this. You come across to me as a man of the old school mentality of i'm not saying that you're not going to adapt i'm not saying that you're hunting canada geese over half tires i'm not saying you're hunting mallards over milk jugs okay mm-hmm. i'm not saying that that doesn't work because i've been to real foot lake and kill a lot of mallards over milk jugs sure um but we both lost a friend in the last couple of years named tim grounds from johnson city illinois yeah um crab orchard he was the master yeah. he taught me how to blow a short reed goose call yeah. taught thousands of goose hunters yeah. how to really he used to come out and hunt in our two-shot goose hunt yes yeah. he was i hunted with him on the front range all the yeah. time i still have pictures on my wall me kevin gross tim just unbelievable yeah, gross he comes up here too i love kevin yeah i just talked to him i yeah. was supposed to hunt with him this year he's probably pissed at me um <laughs> he hunts klamath basin quite a bit does he yeah why tim grounds calls still there's a lot of calls out there mm-hmm. there's a lot of calls that can cluck and moan tim always said bill hey boy Cluck and moan, mm-hmm. cluck and moan. Mm-hmm. Um, God, I missed him. He was so awesome. Yeah, he was awesome. He was so cool. Um, yeah. But why on your lanyard do you only hold, I don't even want to talk duck calls right now because that right. blew my mind when you walked into the restaurant this morning. I'm like, is he freaking serious? Like, <laughs> that's the first time I've seen those calls in a long freaking time. Yeah. And then you brought him out in the pit tonight and I'm like, this dude's serious about <laughs> these calls. And yeah. this, you sound awesome on him. <laughs> but the goose calls, you have a lot of choices out there. Yeah, a lot what, of choices what did out Tim, there. What did Tim mean to you? I am not. I don't even know how good of friends you were with him, mm-hmm. how tight you were, but what did he mean to you as a mentor, as that guy that just you looked up to watching his member get down, cover up, and all of his VHS yeah, tapes, yeah. double seven and hunter g and all that yeah what did he mean to you why do you still operate as calls here in 2022 at wyo brasca when mm-hmm. you could be doing anything you want with calls i mean i'd give you all our calls if you wanted them right mm-hmm. you could have any call you want why tim grounds what did he mean to you as a person as a friend and as a mentor and an instructor on the short read canada mm-hmm. goose call well i you know, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, I'm not positive, but I'm pretty sure he was the first one who really came up with the short read, or the half-breed was the first short read I ever had. He he, he had some mentors that were building him, and he took mm-hmm. it to the next level. And he took it to the next level. He took level. it to the next level, mm-hmm. yeah. Well, that's what I started on, was the half-breed. Moved into the Super Magnum, and, you know, just like those calls, that's, that's what I learned on. I had a, a zinc paralyzer one time that I just loved, and I killed a lot of geese with that. And one day the reed broke, and I never got it back to where I liked it for some reason, you know? And so I had just that one zinc, and then I went back to the grounds. I love that wooden Tim Ground Super Magnum. What we have are big Canada geese. Not We have little ones early, but when our bread and butter gets here they're big canada geese you can growl that thing you can moan it you can eaw it you can do all kinds of little big canada goose sounds like when i'm calling big canadas i'm i'm trying to talk to them a little bit more okay when i'm calling you know cacklers come everybody in the blinds got a call get on it everybody go you know toenails touch the dirt here comes a flock of big canadas shh everybody quiet down whoop 
you know let's just have a little conversation with these guys and that wooden pro super magnum does that very well for me and you know i just i really like him tim tim was a great guy um i had a couple uh cassette tapes from tim that my friend billy cox i get my dogs from uh, got from him. I had a couple cassette tapes from him, and that's what I learned on was listening to Tim on oh eight the what not eight track but the cassette tapes, yeah. you know, and listening to the cassette. I still tapes. have them all. And then I would call him for questions, and he come out to the two shot goose hunt, and we'd talk to him. And then when I started my kids hunt, my friend Tom Harpstreet passed away, and we decided to start this kids hunt. I called Tim and said, Tim. I'm going to start this kid's hunt. I'm going to hold a goose calling contest. I got, uh, I'm going to give away six goose calls. First, second, third, first, second, third, two age groups. You know, can you help me out? And he said, buddy, that's an awesome idea. Heck yeah, I'll help you out. And so he severely discounted a bunch of calls for me, gave me some calls. And we started a nice relationship with that and this kid's hunt every year. And so that was how I knew Tim. And then, um, you know, when he passed away, that 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 was awful. But you know, he was. I'm, I am old school. I'm a loyal guy. If you're loyal to me and you're good to me, now I'm going to be good to you and loyal to you. Tim treated me great. I love his calls. I don't have any reason to switch. It was like my dog guy. I've had nothing but good dogs from him my whole life. He's treated me fair. I go to the same guy every time. I went to the same cafe here in Torrington with my clients for the last ten years. Because she was nice to me, yeah, she appreciated the business, I was loyal to her. That's just the type of guy I am. You're good to me, I'm going to be good to you. So, Hey, bub. Hey, bub. That's all you <laughs> yeah, say. Hey, I know. Bub. Hey, bub. Uh, Tim was awesome. <laughs> yeah. Okay, last thought. Going into tomorrow and the hunts that we've shared together so far. When you... I, I want you to answer this is like, and I know that I don't know if you're a visual visualizer like I am. Like I love the art of visualization. Mm-hmm. When you open that door, that back door to your trailer, and you see the arsenal, mm-hmm. you got the flags, you got the pit lids, you got the mallards, you got the full bodies, you got the floaters, you got the shells, you got the sleeper shells, you got it all, right? Do you just whatever? Throw it out there. This is going to be easy today. How do you visualize and specifically relate this answer to the hunts that we've shared together the last 72 hours? Mm -hmm. What are we doing? What are these decoy spreads? Because I've heard you say this many times. And you even got on my brother a little bit this morning. I'm not saying that you ripped his ass, but like, hey, these are too tight. Two steps in between, you know, like why two steps in between? If you studied these geese so much that they, they don't get tight when it's cold do these big geese kind of stay are they a little bit too greedy and they stay in their zone a little bit yeah, more yeah. what what are you visualizing and i want yeah. you to relate this to our hunts what are we hunting over when we see a decoy spread the last couple days okay so first of all obviously wind direction you know you're considering wind direction and and how to get those birds to center up in front of the blind for everybody okay so i want to arrange them you know, with that pocket in front or wherever I want it to try and get them in there. Next, I want to look natural. Now, I'll be 100% honest with you. 
My my favorite decoy spreads are ones that I set by myself. I will occasionally. <laughs> I can tell that. I'll do it sometimes. I'll go out at three o'clock in the morning before I got to go to the cafe and meet clients and just turn up the Grateful Dead out there in the middle of the night and and imagine my flock what it looks like and put them out by myself and and I love those those decoy spreads. When I look at big Canada geese out, when I look at the cacklers when they're here in November and early, they're in a tight wad. Sometimes you'll see they'll be out in these hay fields in just a big circle black wad and they look like they're like six inches apart and all packed in there okay when i drive around the county and i see the flocks of what we have now when the big guys come rolling in that field they're more spread out and you got little family bunch over here you got two or three off to the side here you got a little family bunch over here these guys in the main bunch are all pretty spread out and they just look different than the little geese do sitting there and so i make that transition when those big geese start showing up and start widening out my spreads and maybe put a few over here and a few over here try and stretch them out make it look a little bit bigger and a little bit more spread out and to me that just looks natural i love pulling up in the morning seeing which way the wind's going, opening up that trailer, closing my eyes, kind of visualize. And what I'm trying to visualize is first, where do I want the geese to come? And second, I want this thing to look natural. Okay. Not as much as here's my pocket, but does it look like a big flock of Canada geese sitting out here? And so that's why, yeah, because I said to Clay this morning, let's spread those out a little. Now to me, what he was doing looks great for the little geese earlier in the year you pack them a little tighter like that a little tighter bunch but this time of year these guys are just you look at them in the field they're spread out from one end of the field to the other end of the field and they're all over the place so when this guy gets in his car and he's got his groups passenger seats full back seats full and he's driving back to cheyenne to fly back to dallas or omaha or california in this conversation, J.J. Randolph, by telling me what you want that group to be thinking about, what do you want them to remember? What do you want them to be saying on that drive back to the airport before they go back to the everyday you know, grind of what life really is? Okay. I would like them to, I want them to, for me, this is hard because I'm in the business of killing birds. But for me, it's not about that. It's about the experience. It's about being out there in nature. It's about being with friends, family, um, seeing things that you might not see. A bald eagle coming down and swooping up a duck right in front of you. A deer, big giant buck just walks across the river while you happen to be looking upstream, whatever. Those things. I also want them to feel like they were welcome here. And that we're friends, you know, that's why I go around and meet every group every night, try to go out to dinner with, you know, if you're here three nights, I'll say, Chad, I, I can't catch you tonight, but I'm going to go out to dinner with you guys tomorrow night. Cause I got to go out with John tonight, you know, whatever. And, and I want them to know that we cared that, um, the experience was good, that we gave our best effort. Like I said, best leases, 
best blinds, best decoys, best guides, all of the above. We gave you 110% that you go away going, man, that was a great experience. Not only did we get some birds or we didn't get some birds. Either way, I want you to go away knowing we gave 100% effort and that you enjoyed I mean, my spots are beautiful. You saw it. You, you, I like the guy who can just sit out there and in, John LaMonico is one of them who can sit out there and enjoy that without having to kill a bunch of birds. Not that we don't like killing birds and working our dogs. That's all part of it. But I really want people to just experience all of Wyoming, Nebraska, and, and that whole picture, you know, seeing those birds coming in. Last night we had... We had too many ducks on us a couple times. We couldn't shoot. We had a flock of 2,000 mallards come into our cornfield. I said, I'm sorry, we can't shoot. I don't want to blow up my whole field here in one volley. So we're going to let these go. And to just sit there and watch that, the guy who can sit there and watch that and go, holy cow, JJ, that was amazing. That's the guy I want. Don't need to kill The him. guy who goes, man, I don't understand why we didn't shoot. I'm not looking for that guy. Okay, I want that whole experience. It's not about the number, although, as you've seen, we kill birds. Oh, yeah. I don't want to downplay that. We kill them. But that's not what it's about. It's a, it's about the whole experience, spending time with friends. i got so many fathers, sons, grandpas, grandkids. Are you getting emotional? A little bit. Are you getting emotional? I'm this sorry. Is kind of, but it's kind of cool that you're getting emotional I'm because sorry. this is what you've built this business on. That's what you want. Yep. That's I like what that. I want. This is like the ninth person I've made cry on a podcast. I'm sorry. This is what conversation does, and our <laughs> our world gets away from it. You don't get emotional over text. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? Mm -hmm. I think that it's cool that you get emotional over what you build here. But 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 before you get well. too emotional, <laughs> JJ, I want to say thank you for inviting us in. Thank Everybody you. here has been amazing. John LaMonaco, his wife, Robin, put this together. Your your stepdad, Mike, is an amazing individual. Janet is an incredible person. I know yeah. Bob from South Dakota. I know that you have an unbelievable crew here. Thank you, first of all. The dinner last night was one of those deals to where, it, like, you you know that, like, in Italy or, like, when you're over in Europe, I don't know if you've been over there, but. I have. So, Food is socialized. Like, I mean, everything happens around a table. You're eating nonstop over there, and that's where business is done. That's where family's done. That's where friends done. So when I'm when I see that happen last night, I get giddy. I get emotional about like, holy shit, this is neat. The duck was awesome, right? Yeah. Your operation's awesome. Thank you for having us. Thank you. I want to come back. I would like to shadow you, maybe shadow Bob, become an intern. <laughs> I want to say thank you. Not just the wild brassica, but I want to say, oh, there she is right there. Natalie just walked in, yeah, the Fox family. Yeah, we were just talking about her. Tonight's episode of the Foul Life Podcast is brought to you by Foul Habits. They just walked in with ducks <laughs> for our dinner. We're doing a taco bar tonight. Check out Foul Habits LLC on Instagram. Check out wildbrassicawaterfowl.com. Book a hunt with JJ aka jason randolph they do it right here tonight we're going to go out thank you to flask cap thank you to all of our partners check out all of our partners and sponsors at thefowllife.com check out brand new episodes of benelli the foul life airing right now exclusively on the outdoor channel and please check out our new dry rubs and our new cookbook at theproviderlife.com we're going to go out tonight we usually go out with 2 a.m logic from idaho falls that i wrote a song with called my foul life but tonight we're going out with my favorite you're gonna laugh Grateful Dead Jerry Garcia song. This is called Touch of Grey. Thank you all for listening. Yes. Touch of Grey.